Look at how Jesus confirms this in one of his well-known I am statements. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Also here, John 12, 46, I have come as a light unto the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. What does abide mean? To stay continuously, should not abide in darkness. Now notice the words, if you follow me and whoever believe in me, they are conditional words. The Bible is full of if then, if then. Some of us only want to read the promise. We want to read the then and we ignore the if. Now I know some will argue and say, yeah, but God loves us unconditionally. Yes, he does. But it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son but we have to keep reading it says whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life whoever believes in him believes in him believes in him as savior what is he saving me from oh wow i'm a sinner in need of a savior i need jesus then you don't go into eternal damnation Welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Right. Yo. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to know that it's so important to start with just realizing the amazing gift of being alive today. Being here. The fact that you were able to come, the fact that most of us, I'm sure, had something to eat, most of us had something to drive in or at least a lift, there's a lot to be grateful for. And it's a great way to start a year is to be grateful. I once looked at the word great and attitude and I realized if you put them together, you get gratitude. It's not the same spelling, but a great atti- gratitude is a great attitude to have. And um, so let's start this year and keep it going with a, with a, a heart of gratitude. Amen. So I don't know how many of you do this, but during the holidays, um, we often go into DIY mode. And my wife has this thing where she doesn't know how to actually relax. So when she rests, she, sorts, uh, she turns her focus to the house. And we need to move this and put that on that wall and move that from that wall to that wall. And, you know, it gets. But there are also just maintenance things and stuff that has to happen. Anyway, one of the things that I ended up doing over the last week or so was a very tedious task of, because I have this, I don't know how many of the men, maybe even the ladies, have a box full of mixed screws and junk. And you just throw stuff in there when you've been, and it just stands there. And every now and again, you go and crap, you know, try to find. Maybe I've got, still have one of those. And I, because I need it now for this thing. And I don't want to go to a DIY store. Anyone can relate? All right. So I took this crate and I said, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to sort you out. <laughs> so I took out this thing and I got little holders and I started to sort the, the screws in different sizes, and I realized I don't have enough buckets for the different sizes, so I just said, you look like you're the same color and almost the same length, so I'll put you in there. At least it's more sorted than what it was, so you know, I've won a level. But something interesting happened as I was doing this, when I noticed a certain type of screw, and I, I thought, I wonder if there's more of him, and I changed my focus to see that type of screw. Suddenly, all of them started to like light up on this tray that I was working on. It was the weirdest thing. And I realized with everyone, every time I want, I was looking for that one, I started seeing more of them on that thing. It's almost like if you start driving a new brand of car, 
you start, or you want to buy a new brand of car, you start noticing it on the road. You go, man, there's a lot of these on the road. You never noticed them before. And as I was doing this sorting, I realized that, and also interesting, yesterday or the day before, uh, Ade, my good friend and spiritual mentor, was came for a quick visit. And, well, you know, in African time, it was a quick visit. And he, uh, he said to me that, as I was explaining what I was going to share today, he said to me, you must realize the people come and they are distracted. They have so many things going on in their minds. So you mustn't give them too much. And I said, no, I think they can handle it. <laughs> but then I realized when I put these two thoughts together, that every time we come to church, every time we spend time in God's word, we have to choose that I'm looking for this specific encounter with God. The same way, because then God will start lighting up in different areas of your life. You'll start noticing, ooh, he's, he's actually busy here, he's busy there, he's doing this. As you, as you focus, as you focus. And that is a choice. Every time I was looking for a specific screw, I chose, and in my mind, I made a decision. Now I'm looking for that. And then my senses started to tune to what I've decided to look for. Um, can one of our people just save that poor banner? Thank you, Rudolf. And, and as I was, so don't get distracted now, focus. <laughs> so as, as I was doing this, I realized this is what we need to do every time we do church and spend time with God. So I want to ask you to make a decision. I know that things can happen around you, and I know that you maybe have brought a lot of stuff with you this morning. And even those people watching online, it's very easy to put this on in the background and to walk around and do your daily thing, but you're not really listening. Sit. Listen. Focus. All right. There's a vast difference. Oh, let me just start with the title of the message. That'll help. So today's message, and I think it's going to be a, a series for the beginning of the year, is called Radiance. Last year, some of you will remember the word that God gave me was frequency. And we spoke about how important it is to tune in to the frequency of God. To, like a radio station, he's always broadcasting, but we are not always tuning to that station. We need to make a decision to tune into his frequency. And then he told us to also create a constant frequency of praise and worship unto him and to do both those things frequently and that is something that stays true it's not just a message for the year and then we stop it stays true god is giving us building blocks so we are building on frequency and the word for the year the word for today i believe is radiance and i'll show you why and where that comes from but it's, it's all about the light of God. And I hope that from the, the scripture we did for worship and the songs, you're already tuning into that thing. And the cool thing that I love about this is sound has a frequency, but light also has a frequency. And it's amazing when you start studying this and getting into it, what happens. All right. I might have to take a sip of water every now and again today because of what I'm struggling with. And every time I do that, just give God a praise offering. All right. Thank you. There's a vast difference between my experience of load shedding at 10 a.m. versus 2 a.m. I don't know if you have the same experience. For those of you online from, from overseas, load shedding is what we call blackouts, rolling blackouts. You call it rolling blackouts. We have load shedding. Same thing, they switch off the power. I don't know about you, but many times when the power cuts in the middle of the night, it actually wakes me up. Anyone else? Yeah. It's probably indicative of how we're tuned into all these weird frequencies that are on. <laughs> Let's not go into that. <laughs> the thick darkness that you then wake up in, coupled with the dead quietness of the night, is something I'm not used to. Maybe some of you feel the same way. 
I'm grateful for those nights where I'm able to sleep right through it. But when it does wake me, I open my eyes to a deep kind of darkness where you kind of have to adjust, you know, see if I can see anything. And if I want to check on the kids, I need to find some source of light to get rid of the darkness. So I would reach for where my phone usually lies, because use that thing on. Sometimes I have a flashlight and I would use that. And for that moment, I'm like a blind person trying to find something because I can't see anything. Then I can turn on the light, and as soon as that happens, the darkness that was so overwhelming a moment ago was gone. It had to leave. You see, it's not dark due to the presence of darkness. It's dark due to the absence of light. And now I can see in front of me and I can see what's necessary to do. All right? Where are we currently in the world? 1 January 2023, where are we as a world? Where are we as a nation? Where are we as a local community? I think we can all agree that the world is spiritually and morally a very dark place. And it seems to be darker by the second. What the Bible calls sin and evil, the world is now celebrating and even calling it good and encouraging people to do it in a more brazen and in-your-face kind of way than ever before. And anyone who is brave enough to say that the things the Bible calls sin is still sin, is still wrong, that person gets dubbed a hater, a bigot, a discriminator, some kind of phobe, and some, kind, and some people want to cancel you. And ironically, when you say that the word of God is true and these things are still sin, the people that say you are a bigot who hate and discriminate, they are now hating and discriminating and bigoting unto you. And somehow that's right, but you're still wrong. It is the weirdest. There's no logic. There's no science. It's all based on feelings and it's all driven by the prince of the power of the air who came to kill, steal and destroy people. In Isaiah 5 verse 20, this is not on the board. In Isaiah 5 verse 20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those. These are the times we're living in. It can be quite overwhelming and plain scary. And I sense a general carefulness among believers who seem to be more fearful of people and the opinion of man than of God and his word. Fear of man seems to be stronger than the fear of the Lord. And this is a crisis. How can we as believers in this time, in history, how can we position ourselves and be obedient and effective for the kingdom of God? without getting locked up, because <laughs> apparently that's on the way. There are bulls that are trying to, they're trying to push through government that if I preach the word of God and it offends someone, they can take me to the, to the commission of human rights and they can actually lock me up or fine me. It's, it's busy being drafted. We've been fighting it and we've been fighting it and there are some amazing people like um, uh, 4SA and Errol Naidu who are fighting these things. But we need help and they need help. But it's an ongoing battle. I believe the answer in how we can still be effective and God-honoring lies in the Word of God in many scriptures that teaches us the importance of, and the, and of the power and the light of God. It teaches us the importance of the power of the light of God. We can never underestimate the power of His light in the darkness. The same way that the light I lit in the middle of the night dispelled the darkness, the same way God's light will change this world through us. Amen? And that's why we're going to talk about radiance. 
I want to start off by reminding us, and it's something I guess I've been saying a lot the last while, but I feel like I cannot stress this enough. And for some of us, I know, you may sit here and go, well, you've said that before, you've said that before, okay? But has it sunk into your spirit, man? Has it become a reality, a truth that you are so convinced of that you live from that truth? Or is it just head knowledge? So I will keep repeating as long as I feel the Holy Spirit lead me to repeat, even if it's for the one that hasn't really yet had that sort of aha moment, like this is true, all right? Firstly, we need to make sure we have a clear understanding that there are only two spiritual kingdoms operating in this world, only two. There's nothing in between, guys. There's nothing in between. There's the kingdom of light, and there's the kingdom of darkness. You know what's weird? The world knows this. You can go and watch any massive movie franchise, and that's what they are busy with. They're dealing with light and darkness. Look at Star Wars. Look at these things where people get, they, they are so attracted to it. And what they actually are attracted to is a counterfeit of the truth. Because they don't want to face the real truth. Because then they have to actually make a choice. But as long as it's, you know, fantasy and sci-fi and whatever, it's fine. But the principle is still there. It's the same way that the world knows that the, one of the most important relationships in this world is father and son. So many movies will use that to pull people in and tell a story about how a father and a son, they start out hating each other, they reconcile everybody. It's the, it's the lost son, it's the prodigal son story over and over and over again. The world longs for that. But they get caught up in the counterfeit. And we are here to bring the real. You may say, yes, I know that there are two kingdoms, but wait. That means that there are essentially two groups of people on earth, only two groups of people, two main groups of people. And I might say, whoa, 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 listen, just keep listening. The two groups are believers in Jesus Christ and non-believers, Christians, and non-Christians. That's the two groups. When you read the Bible, that's the two groups. And when I say Christian or believer, I mean the biblical definition. Now, you need to focus, okay? Focus on this little screw. We cannot just say Christian anymore and, and assume that people understand what you mean because it means different things for different people. In its essence, it used to mean little Christ, Someone who has been with Jesus. So they are like him. But we need, to con we need to make sure that we understand it. Because people in the world look at Christians and they go Roman Catholic, Baptist, all the denominations, the evangelicals, everyone's a Christian. So to define, I'm going to try this. A person that has come to the realization that he or she is a sinner in need of a Savior, from the wages of sin and death, that that Savior is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the living God, and then chooses to die to self, become truly born again, a new creation, who is water baptized, or soon will be, baptized with the Holy Spirit, or soon will be, and loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that the fruit of that love is obedience to God's Word and a love for people. That is a Christian. I know it seems long, but it's important to name all of those things. I cannot just say Christian or believer. Why? Because out of the two groups I've mentioned, believers and non-believers, the non-believer group include many other groups. The non-believing group includes other groups. And one of them is cultural Christians. People who believe, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. And I really believe that I am a Christian. And that is one of the biggest evangelical fields that we need to take hold of. It generally means that the parents had some form of belief that there is a God who has a son, Jesus. Normally, not much mention of the Holy Spirit, rather than you just know there is a Holy Spirit. 
but you don't see the power, you don't see the manifestation of it. Many would go to Sunday school, follow man-made rules and rituals that have become ingrained in their culture, which is very strongly linked to their language and ethnic background. And I was just saying, as I was speaking with Ada as well yesterday, what, I re- what I've realized is part of the problem is that when you grow up in most of the traditional churches, the Bible and man-made rituals and rules are taught as if it's on the same level. So you take both as equally important. But what happens in the process is you don't read your Bible yourself enough. So you just believe everything that you are taught. And that becomes your culture. And you just assume this is how it should be. If I'm not sprinkled with water as a baby and put in the book of the church, then one day I cannot be brought forward as an 18-year-old. I cannot get married in this church and I can't take my children to be sprinkled with water one day. So I go, oh, shucks, I have to do this. But none of that's in the Bible. It's man-made stuff. Yes, some of it makes sense, like we have to regulate certain things. But in essence, I see those things as equally important. And it's about breaking that down. I need water. Sorry, guys. We're going to get through this. The enemy will not win. Uh, Okay. Now, a cultural home can have good morals and values. Absolutely. I'm not saying it doesn't. And it can have a fairly good environment to grow up in. I had one like that. I had a great home. My parents love each other. There were certain dysfunctions, but overall, you know, it was a good home to grow up in. Especially when I started hearing what other people grew up in, I realized, wow, I have a a lot to be thankful for. On the other hand, and this is a lot of the stories we hear, it can also be very dysfunctional and a difficult environment to grow up in. And unfortunately, in some of the worst cases, people in positions of authority, like parents or teachers or spiritual leaders, would preach one thing, but then in secret do the exact opposite and hurt people. Or they are perpetrators of abuse, neglect, while even holding the Bible under the arm. So, and this causes a disconnect in people. Like you say this with the Bible under your arm, but then you do that. You said one thing with this mouth, praising God, but now you're doing that with the same mouth. And people go, this can't be real. If this is Jesus, I want nothing to do with it. But if a form comes around to their home and they are asked, what do you believe? What religion are you? They're going to tick Christian because they're not a Muslim or a, anything of the other single on the list. So I guess I'm that. Because most people still believe, hey, there is a God, but they may not want to have anything to do with him. Whether you are version one, two, or three, if there has not been a true born again, come to Jesus moment in the lives of the people in that home. It will only remain a cultural Christian home and therefore in actual fact be part of the group of unbelievers. This is just true. So what do we do? What do we do about this situation? Those who are true believers need to know that we not only have full-blown pagans to evangelize in this dark times because they are there. And they are very active. But we also have to, um, but also many who think they are saved and really believe they are saved. And everyone in between those extremes that are unbelievers. And we need to know that that is the field we need to evangelize. The good news is each and every one of you has received gifts, has received a platform of some kind, influence of some kind, speak into the life of someone on that spectrum of unbelievers. The question is, will you be the light that's shining inside of you? So the question is, how do we evangelize them? Short answer, we shine the light of Jesus brightly wherever we go. The radiance of Christ should reflect and radiate from us to the world around us. 
in our conduct, in our speech, we should represent heaven well by loving people while sharing the truth of God's word with absolutely no compromise. And this is very challenging. I don't know about you, but when I'm with unbelieving people, there's always this part of me that wants to go easy on myself and on them. And because you're like, oh, maybe they'll be offended or, you know, maybe I should do what they are doing, laugh at the jokes that they are laughing at so that I can get an in. But true light shines even in those moments. You don't have to be a part of the world to change the world. That's exactly what Jesus modeled to us. Jesus was accused of drinking too much and and doing all kinds of sins because he hung out with sinners. But he never sinned. And in his presence, people got convicted and changed their lives. And in order to, to do that, we actually need to know the word of God well enough to start our sentences the same way Jesus did. It is written. It's our biggest and most important weapon, guys. It is written. It is written. When people come to us for counseling, for a conversation, for difficult questions, I try my utmost to always go, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And sometimes I don't know the answer. This is a new question. I've never dealt with this before. And we, we, we pray, ask Holy Spirit. It reminds me of scriptures. reminds me of scriptures. Start reading that. And then the wisdom comes for that specific situation. It is written. It's your greatest weapon, your greatest tool to change the world for Jesus. Amen? We're going to talk about how Jesus is the light. We're going to look at some amazing scriptures that explains to us who Jesus is, what his light is, how his light has come and should, and should be absorbed by his children and reflected and radiated to an unbelieving world. We're going to start Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 3. You see, we're still in Isaiah. We've been there for a while, but it's so amazing what God is doing. And he started to show me something else from Isaiah and, and Jesus and the light. And then we're going to get into that later in this year. But for today, we're going to focus on him being the light. Let's read together from the New Living Translation first. It says, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. In the New King James, it sounds a little different. It sounds like this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. We see that Isaiah is speaking to the city of Jerusalem and instructing it to arise and shine. Previous times I've read this and I didn't realize to this extent that he was speaking to a city because the glory of the Lord has risen upon it. So he's giving it an instruction. Arise and shine because for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This implies that because the glory of the Lord has risen upon it, there should be a Response. And the response should be to shine. Make them wonder what they got. Make them look like they were not. You know that song? On the outside looking bored. Yeah. The radiance of the light of the Lord should be absorbed and reflected. There's a darkness, black and deep, that covers the earth and the nations. But, so it's stating, the, it's stating the situation. There's a darkness on the earth and on the people of the earth. 
Remember, he wrote this 2,700 years ago. Today, we still agree there's a darkness on the earth and a deep darkness on the people. He's saying, I know, that's the situation. But, there's a but. The glory of the Lord rises and appears over the city. Now, because the light has risen over Jerusalem, and the city now shines with the light of the Lord, look what will happen. Are you with me? So because the light has shined and the city is now radiating the light of the glory of Jesus, the next happens. Gentiles from all nations and kings shall be drawn to the radiance of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is known as the holy city and probably the most contested piece of land in the world. It, is, it has so many prophecies over it. And at the end times, this city is central. But I believe the city also represents the kingdom of God in the same way that Babylon represents the kingdom of darkness. You with me? A city is a city because people live in it. Will he be speaking to a city if it wasn't inhabited? Is a city alive when it has no people? No, it's just buildings and streets. He's speaking to the people. And the kingdom of God is made up of children of God. So, why do I say that? We're going to look at John 1 to get to that conclusion. John 1 from verse 1 to 14. This is so powerful. Listen to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the Light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness to the light. That all through him might believe he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. To every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God that's how the Bible describes a Christian and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What does glory do? It shines. That's powerful. Jesus is the Word of God and was there from the beginning. In Jesus there is life and the life was the light of men. This light shines the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Let us just meditate on that for a moment. When you shine the light of Jesus in dark places, the darkness will freak out and will have to give way. But only when you know the power of the light, when you have a conviction of who Jesus is, if you come into a dark place, timid, not prepared, not aware of who you are in Christ, the darkness will laugh at you. But when it's the true light of Jesus shining through you with a confident Uh, wrapped up in the humility that you have before God, the darkness has to flee. It cannot comprehend what's happening. Notice Jesus is the true light, meaning there are counterfeit lights. Why is he telling us Jesus is the true light? Because there are other things and people and organizations that might look to us like the light. And remember, in the end times, The Jewish people will initially believe that the Antichrist is the Messiah. We also see that the light shines for all mankind. 
but that some do not accept and receive the light of Jesus. Look at the identity of those who receive Jesus. This is profound and so key. To those who receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. This implies that even though God has fathered all people, not all people accept him as father. And until they do, they are illegitimate children who do not receive the heavenly inheritance reserved only for those who receive Jesus. Secondly, to those who believe in his name, his name means God is salvation or savior. So when you believe in his name, you have to believe in what his name means and what it implies. It is not enough to just believe that Jesus existed and exists. That is not save salvation. When you believe in his name, you believe that he is the savior. James says even the demons believe Jesus exists and they tremble in fear. This believing in his name is key because when we believe his name means savior, we're confronted with the truth that a savior saves me from something. I cannot believe in his name as savior if I don't confront myself with the question, well, what is he saving me from? And therein lies the life-changing truth. Believing in his name brings me to a place of realizing I am a sinner in need of a savior and Jesus is that savior. Until that point, I am in darkness. And sometimes that darkness blinds me to the truth. Until someone or Jesus himself shines the light into my darkness and I suddenly see the truth. Amen? Thirdly, those who are born of God, those who are born again. You were born through your mother. Now you are born of God. It's a second birth. You are born again. Some people have criticized me before and say, the Bible doesn't talk about being born again. I'm like, what? Read your Bible. It is written. These three points are so important to understand and separates very clearly the true believer from the unbelievers who include cultural Christians. And now we know that the light of Jesus will and can only shine in these ones. Now, some of you might, might think, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I know some people who are unbelievers and even cultural Christians who do good things. Good people don't go to heaven. Your deeds from your own efforts, your own energy does not get you into heaven. Only by grace through faith. In the name of Jesus, by being born again, do you get access to heaven. Then, when you read Paul and James together, you start realizing that I cannot have faith without works. That's also important. But faith is first. By grace is first. And then because I realize what Jesus did for me and who he is and how much he loves me, now I start stepping into the works of the kingdom of God. And you might say, yeah, but there are some people that say they are saved, but they do nothing. I'm like, that is not right. And if the fruit of conversion is not on their lives, then either they never really got saved and they are also cultural Christians, or they have been, for some reason, have backslidden or they've been taught very badly about how the kingdom works. And they also need help. They need us to see that and to pull them in and say, hey, this is actually how it works. Amen? Look at how Jesus confirms this in one of his well-known I am statements. For those of you who don't know, they are well, it's known as the seven I am statements in the book of John. In John 8 verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to Life. Boom. It can't be much clearer than that. Also here, John 12, 46. I have come as a light unto the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. What does abide mean? To stay continuously. Should not abide in darkness. Now notice the words, if you follow me and whoever believe in me. They are conditional words. They are conditional words. I've told you many times in this church, the Bible is full of if, then, if, then. 
you have to be aware that some of us only want to read the promise. We want to read the then. And we ignore the if. The, 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 the best one I know is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. I like that last part. But the first part is where you die and you make everything about him and his kingdom. Now, I know some will argue and say, yeah, but God loves us unconditionally. Yes, he does. But it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we have to keep reading. It says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Him, believes in Him, believes in Him as Savior. What is He saving me from? Oh, wow, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need Jesus. Then you don't go into eternal damnation. That same chapter 3 from the book of John quotes Jesus saying to Nicodemus that if you are not born again, you will not see or Enter the kingdom of God. He makes it very plain. Unless you are born again, you will not see or enter the kingdom of God. So while God's love is great and unconditional because of His holiness, His righteousness, and His justice, He cannot have communion with sin. And a non-believer is not a new creation who can stand blameless before God. When God looks at a true believer... Sin is done away with by the blood of Jesus and through the blood of Jesus, when he looks at a born-again believer, he sees a person that is clean, that has no sin, who the darkness has left. No matter how much God loves you, if your love is unrequited, in other words, if your love for him is not returned, that person is condemned. And this is also made clear in John 3, if, if you keep reading, if you are still not convinced by this, because some people are going like, Oof, well, you can't judge me and God will decide. And Okay, well, I'm reading the word of God, which if you say you're a Christian, you should believe. And maybe you've realized already today, and maybe people online are realizing today, shucks, maybe I do see man-made rules exactly the same as the Bible. And maybe I don't know my Bible that well, because some of the stuff you read today, I've never heard before. And you go, ooh. This is why we do this, is to shine the light and to expose the lies so that you are not bound. Amen? But if you still don't believe me, let's read together 1 John 1 from verse 5. This is the message which you have heard from him and declared to you that God is light. And in him there is. Is there any darkness? No darkness in him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship but walk in darkness, if I say I'm a Christian but I'm still drinking excessively, if I say I'm a Christian but I'm still sleeping around and sleeping with my girlfriend before I get married, if there's many ifs, I lie and I do not practice the truth. But if I walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The good news is really great news, guys. The blood of Jesus cleanses everything and fixes everything. But you have to receive it. You have to accept it. And you have to die to self and step into a relationship and say, yes, I will follow you if it costs me everything, and it will. There's no middle ground. There's no convenient road to Christianity. The Bible calls it the narrow road and few are on it. The broad way is easy. Everyone's on that, other than the believers. The question some of us have to ask ourselves is, firstly, am I really born again? Question number one. Question number two. Am I willing 
to compromise on the calling of God in my life and the word of, that he's given me for temporary satisfaction, temporary gratification, but to lose out either by not ending up in heaven at all or not having the rewards that God actually planned for me to have in heaven one day. Where do you want to be in heaven? Because there are levels and there are rewards. I can't go into that in detail, but there are. Where do you want to, are you going to be so close to God and walk so close and be the light for him so much that when you, when you step into eternity, you just keep going? Because that's what you've been doing anyway. Or is it going to be like a shock to your system? Go, whoa, okay. Go, weg. Light cannot have fellowship with darkness. That's clear from Scripture. What is fellowship? It's when you're a fellow and I'm a fellow and we're in a ship together. We're fellowshipping. We are together in the same ship. Light and darkness cannot be in the same ship. Otherwise, ship happens. It'll sink. <laughs> Some people are only catching that now. Light and darkness cannot have fellowship with one another. And the same way that a woman cannot be sort of pregnant, you cannot be sort of saved. You are either saved or not. There's a line. I want to shift gears a bit and I want to share a quick biology lesson with you that I felt God show me to bring that gives us a great analogy for how we can effectively be the light in the darkness, all right? I'm going to read this from, I got it from MIT News online. It says about photosynthesis. How many of you know what that is? All right. It's a process of how sunlight uh, on leaves create oxygen, all right? But this is a bit more in depth, and listen to this carefully. Critical to the first steps of photosynthesis are proteins called light harvesting complexes, or LHCs. When sunlight strikes a leaf, each proton, each particle of light, delivers energy that excites an LHC, a light harvesting complex. It excites it. That excitation passes from one LHC to another until it reaches a so-called reaction center where it drives chemical reactions that split water into oxygen gas, which is released, and positively charged particles called protons, which remain. The protons activate the production of an enzyme that drives the formation of energy-rich carbohydrates, food, needed to fuel the plant's metabolism. Hopefully you remember something from high school, biology. But we know the process how plants make oxygen, okay? But can you see how amazing God created the, the creation? The light of the sun rises and shines on the leaves of a plant and these light harvesting complexes get excited. They're like, woohoo, the light is shining on me. This excitement gets passed on to other LHCs and this produces oxygen for, for breath, for, um, to breathe, and carbohydrates for food. Both are life-giving. They are giving oxygen outside and producing food inside. Can you see that? It's freaking powerful. Now, I want you to imagine... That the sunlight is Jesus and the leaves of the plants represent cities of the world like Jerusalem and the LHCs are people. The light of Jesus should excite all people to produce life and reflect his light. And the more people that are excited about the light of Jesus and the life it brings, the more others will be drawn to that light and become excited as well. This is such a beautiful example from God's creation itself. Can you see that? Can you imagine when this city where all of us 
get so excited by the light of Jesus that has already shone in our lives. And as we study His Word and praise Him more, the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. People recognize that in us and we can share the light and it can go, go into their lives as well and they can radiate as well. This is so beautiful. One last scripture that confirms this is found here where Jesus is delivering His famous Sermon on the Mount to His disciples. I read some, a verse from the beginning of Matthew 5 last week. And this week, we're going to go a bit deeper in. Listen to Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of what? The world. The whole world. Yes. All of it. Like a city, a city set on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Let's read that again. You are... The light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. I'm a, I'm a secret agent Christian. People would just look at my life and know. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It's all about God the Father. All of these things are about Him. Now, look at the first scripture again and then read this one from Matthew. Jerusalem is a city on a hill. Did you know that? How many of you have been to Jerusalem? A long time ago, Jesus rode into that city on a donkey. He died on a cross for all of us. That sin no longer will have a hold over us, but that we should have life and life everlasting. He rose above that city on a cross. And His light shone through His love for all and also through His miraculous resurrection that happened close by to where He was crucified, where He overcame death, the devil, and darkness. Now through Him, we can have life eternal and the radiance of His light can be ignited in those who follow and believe Him so that the light and life of Jesus can be shared with others. Radiance, brightness, that is what will dispel the darkness of this world. The more believers that get this, take it seriously and purposefully shine the light of Jesus in this dark world will get others excited about living life to the full, the more we will see a revival in this world. Let's go and shine our lights for Jesus. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.